This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're chasing Q and A's on our way into episode number 44. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. The tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and it's been a few weeks since I last recorded a podcast. The last time I talked to you, the Ultimate Bundle sale had just begun, and it has now ended and been over for a few weeks. I was really excited about the bundle for multiple reasons, and one of the biggest ones was that my natural birthing class, Mama Baby Birthing, was included in the bundle. And if you want to know more about the class, you can go to mamababybirthing.com. But I got an unbelievable number of new signups during the bundle sale, and I still even have a few bundle buyers who are trickling in as new students. So my last few weeks have been swamped just with looking over diet records and answering questions and running Q&A calls and just generally getting to know my new bunch of students and interacting with them. And it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been pretty tiring for me. So I haven't gotten a podcast in. I really wanted to make a point to get the podcast going again this week, and hopefully every week thereafter. And my students have actually helped me a lot because they all sent me their most pressing pregnancy questions pretty much right off the bat, and it's given me a really good idea of topics that are really important to mamas and daddies and families who are expecting a baby. So I thought that I would take some of the most popular questions and answer them on the podcast for the next few weeks. I wanted to do it in a way that makes sense to you, the podcast listeners, because you you want to know what the podcast is about. I, I know that random Q&As can just be fun, and I like to do those on YouTube sometimes, Um you can go to naturalbirth.tv to check out the YouTube videos, and I've done a couple of running Q&As on there as well as some regular quick tips, and I'm hoping to get back into the quick tips again this week too. Again, that's naturalbirth.tv. But on the podcast, I do like to keep things topical so that when you're listening, you know what you're listening to. So I divided up all of the questions that I got, and... It came out into several big categories, and then within each category, I was able to find questions that seemed to be similar. The concerns that I heard were similar, even though there were some specifics here and there, because, of course, you're unique, your pregnancy is going to be unique, your family is unique. But a lot of the concerns are very universal, and I thought that by going over some of the top questions from each category over the next few weeks, I could cover some of the things that you may be wondering excuse me, that you may be wondering about as well. Out of all of the questions that I got, overwhelmingly, the most questions that I got were either about pregnancy nutrition or pregnancy exercise. So that's what I'm going to start with. Today I'm going to do nutrition. Next week I'm going to shoot to do exercise. And then I also got a lot of questions that were that were birth preparation questions. And so I'll work my way through those too. But we're going to start with diet this week because I think that it's a good foundation. And apparently you cannot get enough information about it. And I know 
know that there's so much conflicting information out there. So hopefully this week I'll be able to help you get a little bit of a clearer picture by answering some of these questions that I've gotten from other moms. The Probably the most general question that I got, but I got it several times, is what's the best and most nourishing diet for my baby? If you've listened to anything that I have recorded on my podcast or if you've read anything on my website or if you're a mama baby birthing student, then, or even if you've just taken my mini course, which you can get at trustbirth101.com, you know that I feel that nutrition is very important. I think it is the foundation that you should build all of the rest of your pregnancy health on. And I know that if you're in the first trimester, that's a little tough. I'm going to answer a question about that in a little bit because you may have food aversions or morning sickness. And so we'll talk about that. But by the time you're done with that, hopefully, um, You know, that's at the point where nutrition is really getting critical and what you eat is getting critical. And so that's the time moving into the second trimester and especially through the second trimester, you want to be focusing on nutrition for health for your baby and also for your body. The diet that I recommend is based on the Brewer diet. I want to talk about that a little bit because there are a lot of misconceptions and a couple of the questions that I'm going to read in a minute reflect those misconceptions about the diet. And I hope that by clarifying it, I can not only clear up those misconceptions, I can clear up um, maybe some of the naysayer views that you've heard about the Brewer diet, and I can clear up the fact that it's a really hard diet to follow because I've followed it in all of my pregnancies, and I definitely think it's very manageable for a pregnant woman. The Brewer diet was developed by Dr. Tom Brewer, and he, he died six or seven years ago now. A great loss to the world, but I want to point out before we launch into what he did that his work is really based on the work of a lot of other people too. So he's not isolated. He's not standing alone. He was standing on the shoulders of giants just like he was a giant and we're now standing on his shoulder. Uh, He was standing on the shoulders of a lot of giantesses too. There were a lot of women who were intimately involved in this field and there are other researchers, men and women today, who continue his work, both doctors and midwives. There are some who emphasize things differently than he did. But they still feel that nutrition is very important and a good cornerstone to a healthy pregnancy. Uh, And I really think that's the point that I want you to understand is that he wasn't an island. This is not just him, but he was very vocal. He worked very hard and he set things out in a way that he felt moms could really use. So his work is often what you hear referenced. And because he did carefully work a way for moms to be able to follow a comprehensive nutrition plan in a way that he thought was pretty intuitive. And it may feel tedious at first, but when you get used to it, it is relatively intuitive. His work is what tends to be shared with mamas. So what Dr. Brewer did was he was working in the maternity ward and he noticed all of these problems with pregnancy, metabolic toxemia of pregnancy, hypertension, preeclampsia, all, there are many, many different names. And then there are also other things that go along with it. Gestational diabetes, intrauterine growth retardation. All of these complications of pregnancy, 
he saw and he observed the moms and how they responded. And he also observed who it did happen with, who it didn't happen with. So when Dr. Brewer originally began his work, it was early in the last century and mid to last century. So he saw a bunch of poor women who were really poorly nourished. And then he saw a bunch of middle-class women who were well-nourished and the doctors caring for the poor women saw these things happen all the time. The doctors working with the middle-class women rarely saw these things happen. And then he noticed a trend where he was seeing more and more and more middle-class women who were having these problems, and he asked himself, what has changed? And the big change that there was was that convenience food, fast foods, mom's working. And I'm, this isn't a feminist debate. This is just purely women got busier. They weren't in the home. The expectations for women changed. And what women did changed to where it, it wasn't so much that they were working on cooking whole course meals. It was more women are busy. They're running on the go with the kids with their own careers. They were relying more on prepared food. Marketers were marketing a lot more prepared foods. And overall nutritional quality was decreasing, and he saw that reflected in the patients that he was caring for at the hospital on all of his rounds, and that got him thinking. So moving on from there, he went on to develop nutritional guidelines that he thought would help pregnant women, and again, he was standing on the shoulders of giants, so he based his work on the work of the Montreal Diet Dispensary and other other similar organizations, doctors, individuals, nurses who were working in this field and really studying pregnancy nutrition. So he looked at their work and he incorporated that into his work. And he was given an assignment with a low-cost clinic uh, in Contra Costa County, California. And that's where, for almost two decades, he really made a difference and brought their rates of complications to almost nil just by personally educating these moms and I mean he literally personally educated them he would have a group of moms and he sat in a circle with a brown paper bag and would pull out foods and say these are the kind of foods that you should eat for your baby and all of those moms just like you just like every mom wants a healthy baby and so by making it accessible this way and highlighting foods that those moms could afford he made a big difference Okay, so we know how Dr. Brewer came to his work and why I feel his work is valid. It's proven. I really respect researchers who have proven things with their work. They don't have fancy controls and trials because what are you going to do? Feed one woman the Brewer diet, which you feel is going to improve outcomes and tell the other mom, oh no, you can't eat like this? What mom would participate in that trial? Or starve one mom and feed one mom well? I mean, you can look at the community, just like Dr. Brewer did, with moms who are in that unfortunate situation. But you can't ethically hold a trial like that. So we want to look at the results that these doctors got, even if they're not double-blind controlled studies. And other doctors, um, Dr. Brewer, the diet dispensary, um, Dr. Barbara Luke has done a lot of work with moms of multiples. There are lots of doctors who have tested this and who have gotten good results. So what are, the, what are the core principles of a nutritious pregnancy diet? Let's come back to the question that I got now. There are three legs 
of the brewer diet that are essential. And I like the illustration that Nurse Joy Jones uses when she teaches this. And she says a three-legged stool. Because if you take away one leg of a three-legged stool, what happens? Your stool falls over. You can't have just one or just two of those legs. You need all three of them. And then I like to expand upon her analogy of the stool by saying you should also have things stacked on top of the stool. You should have a plate full of good food. So the three pillars are protein, calories, and salt. And when I say salt, I mean salting to taste. Protein and calories have a set amount, so 80 to 100 grams of protein for one baby, more if you're expecting multiples, and then 23 to 2600 calories a day, again for one baby, more if you're expecting multiples, and then salting to taste. Let me go ahead and read to you the next couple of questions that I got because they talk about protein, so they fit in well here. And then we'll elaborate a bit more on the the rest of the diet so you get the rounded picture. Okay, the first one is, I always hear how important it is for a pregnant mama, especially a nursing one, which I usually am pregnant and nursing, to get enough protein. I've always heard 100 grams a day, but have found it difficult to obtain. And what happens if a mother does not get enough protein during her pregnancy? So many, many people, including you, have probably heard how important protein is during pregnancy. And that is very true. I will give you the caveat again that it should not be in isolation. But let's talk about protein for a minute. The reason that protein is so very important during pregnancy is because it helps you to first build your baby. Because protein is the building block that all of life is built on, all of the cells and everything. It's essential for protein to be there, for the placenta to develop, for your baby to develop, for the baby's circulatory system to develop, to maintain amniotic fluid. Everything that your baby is needs protein, and perhaps that's the most motivating reason to get protein. But protein is also incredibly vital to support the changes that your body goes through during pregnancy. When we think about pregnancy, I think that we think we're going to get this beautiful bump and we may put on a little bit of padding around the bump depending on how we carry, you know, we might get a little bit extra in the thighs and on the glutes and that sort of thing. But that's that's really what we think about when we think of pregnancy changes. Or you may think, oh, my hair is going to look pretty, or my nails are going to look pretty, or my skin's going to look beautiful, or oh no, I'm going to break out. You think about those outward physical changes that may happen with a pregnancy, but truly, those changes are only skin deep. They are a reflection of everything that's going on inside of you with growing the baby, but pregnancy And the changes that it brings are not just about we're growing a chunky newborn and we're going to have a big bump until we give birth to that newborn. Your body goes through many, many changes. And I I gave, if any of you attended the Build-A-Babe workshop that I gave after uh, after the Healthy Living Bundle was on sale, then you saw the slide where I listed out many of the changes and I should have brought that up so I could read them to you, but I didn't. Uh, But... There are so many changes from the way that your blood vessels relax to how your heart pumps to your oxygen intake increases to your sweating patterns change. There are so many changes. There are countless just about. Uh, But one of the biggest ones is that your blood supply 
needs to change greatly. And this is also one of the reasons why the amount of oxygen and air you're taking in with every breath increases. Your blood vessels actually loosen, slacken a bit so that more blood can flow through them and your heart works a bit harder in pregnancy because your blood supply is going to increase by about 60%, 50 to 60%. So pre-pregnancy, you have about three and a half quarts of blood. And by the time your blood volume has fully expanded, which is 28 weeks at the beginning of the third trimester, you have about 5.6 quarts of blood. So you've gained an additional two quarts of blood plus a little bit more. So if you can picture two quart-sized canning jars full, that's a lot, that's a lot of blood. And that is probably the most important metabolic change that your body goes through during pregnancy aside from the actual building and creation of your baby. In order to support that, or first, the blood volume expansion is important. First of all, the placenta needs a lot of blood, and the placenta actually erodes away the ends of capillaries in the uterus so that there is literally a lake of blood sitting all along the placenta. And of course, it's being constantly replenished. It's not stagnant. It's being constantly replenished by your blood supply. But that needs to be there because that's how the baby is getting all of his or her nutrients. The placenta is able to draw the nutrients out of that blood. And your body also needs extra blood because the placenta isn't just taking nutrients out of your blood. It's also delivering the baby's waste products to your blood. So your body then has to filter all of your baby's wastes. And you just you need a lot of extra circulatory support to take care of all of this. Your kidneys and your liver need to be exceptionally well nourished at this point. There needs to be a lot of blood flow and a lot of nutrients going to those organs because they're doing a lot of extra work. So your body really does need all of this extra blood. Not having an expanded blood supply, in other words, your body physiologically and metabolically can't cope, is really the core of many, many, many of the problems that we see during pregnancy. Uh, From preeclampsia to intrauterine growth retardation. And I know that there's a lot of debate that there may be genetic factors in some of these things. But the bottom line is that supporting the pregnant body to do what it's supposed to do during pregnancy could never be harmful to mother and baby. If you have special dietary needs, then I would definitely recommend that you work with a dietitian or a nutritionist during pregnancy. But I would also recommend that you don't just say, okay, I have special needs and my doctor says this and that and that's what I'm going to go with. Do take your doctor's advice into consideration, but also ask for a referral to a dietitian who specializes in pregnancy because they are going to be able to help you come up with a plan that is perfect for you and they're probably better educated about nutrition and nutrition during pregnancy than a standard OB is and perhaps even than a peri- perinatologist or a maternal fetal medicine specialist is. And a perinatologist or MFM is not going to get insulted if you ask for that referral either because, I mean, that's just the way that they work. They want to bring in a team of specialists who really know what they're doing uh, and they know that the dietitian's expertise is to keep your diet excellent. So anyways... 
regardless of what the root cause may be, having a superiorly, you know, superior nourishment during your pregnancy can never hurt. And the Brewer diet is designed to support your body metabolically, physiologically, from the time the blood supply begins to expand at eight weeks until it finishes its its expansion at 28 weeks, and then until you give birth to your baby at 40, 41, 42 weeks. It is designed to support you, your baby, and your placenta so everything is functioning perfectly, is well-nourished, is healthy, and is optimal until the birthday that is right for your baby. Okay, so where does protein come into all of that? Protein, dietary protein can be used by your body to produce albumin, which is used to help facilitate blood supply expansion. It works in the body by, uh, by maintaining the osmotic pressure of the bloodstream properly and only dietary protein can be converted this way. So your body can't really break down fat stores or anything else to create albumin. It just can't do that. You have to eat the protein. Now, protein also has other uses in your body. So some protein may be used for, for instance, building your baby. And also, if you're not getting enough of other things, aka calories, your body will break down protein uh, for glucose in a process called it's gluconeogenesis, I think is how you say it. But this process is where protein is broken down for energy. And so protein won't be spared if there's not enough calories. It will first be used for energy. It will be used for building your baby. And then what's left is able to be used for albumin to support your blood supply. So if you're not getting enough dietary protein during pregnancy, then your blood supply can start to constrict and that's, that's dangerous because then a lot of systems start failing. There's a lot depending on that nutrient-rich blood coming through your body. So protein is very important. I'm going to talk in a minute about how to fit in that much food because some moms do feel intimidated by, oh my goodness, 80 to 100 grams of protein. Now, I said that if you have only one leg of the stool, the stool will fall down. If all you do is eat a high-protein diet, but you don't take care of anything else that's included in a proper pregnancy diet, you can't expect positive results from that. And studies have shown that isolated, high-protein diets, um, using a lot of protein powders and things like that, they don't increase good outcomes, and there could even be negative outcomes. And the problem that, that's going on is that moms are getting just high protein in those instances. Calories are a good place to go next with this. So when we're looking at a whole pregnancy diet, we wanna look at we wanna look at all three parts of the stool. And I actually think that calories encompass what you might put on top of the stool too. So the calorie leg is because, like I said a minute ago, your body needs calories because it uses the calories for energy to spare the protein to be used for what it needs to be used for, which is building your baby and maintaining your blood supply. If you get enough calories, no protein is needed to be used for energy. So Dr. Brewer said that you need about twenty-three to 2,600 um, calories a day. 
And that seems overwhelming to some women, and especially women who read in the magazine that you need about 300 extra calories a day, and if pre-pregnancy you were eating 1,500 calories, that's only 1,800 calories. Or if you were eating 1,000 calories, that's only 1,300 calories. I mean, on that type of a diet, many women will stop menstruating because there are so few calories. So you definitely... (laughs) You definitely need to get more calories in order to sustain an entire human life because your baby also needs that energy. That glucose goes to your baby's brain. It's used by your baby's body. Your baby has the protein it needs, but your baby also needs energy. And your body needs energy to maintain everything that's going on. That's just what is needed. And shortchanging that, as I've emphasized several times already, has negative effects. Now, calories also bring with them a multitude of other foods. So I'm not saying that you need to eat 2,600 calories worth of butter every day. (laughs) Though I think butter is good, so I'm not picking on that. But you know, I'm not saying eat a whole big slab of fat and that's that. No. In fact, Dr. Brewer and his diet emphasized many things. So he emphasized protein and he emphasized um, iron-rich foods, vitamin C-rich foods, dark leafy greens, all these foods that bring your body vitamins and minerals. And it is part of that calorie leg and maybe with the little plate that you're putting on top of your stool, that's where you're getting all those other nutrients. Those come in with the calories that you have every day and with the good food choices that you make every day. So if you look at a chart where that has checkboxes to check off for the brewer diet, you'll see checkboxes not just for protein, not just for salting to taste, but also for those other categories that I just mentioned, the vitamin A foods, the vitamin C foods, the veggies, the dark leafy green veggies, the starchy veggies. And yes, there's a checkoff category for fats. So you put your pat of butter in that, or you put your spoon of coconut oil in that, or you put your um, salad dressing in that. Mayonnaise, that sort of thing, would go in those fats category because fats are important for your baby's brain development, and they provide pretty easy calories. A spoonful of peanut butter provides you with a serving of you know, starchy, carby veggies. It provides you with a serving of fat and it provides you with a serving of protein. And this it's the same for a handful of nuts. Nuts have all of them in there. Um, but so, so it does. It involves some fat, but it's not all fat. It's not stuffing yourself on fat. That's not the only way to get your diet up there. And protein foods are also inherently going to have some calories in them too. So maybe not as many as you would think. Uh, If you're eating a steak, it may not have as many calories as you might be led to believe, especially if it's a trimmed steak. But if you're eating a full pregnancy diet every day, then not only are you getting those calories in, but you're also getting all of those vital vitamins, minerals, trace nutrients, micronutrients, enzymes, um, phytonutrients, Everything that you want to get into your body is part of those calories that you're taking in every day. And then the final rung is salt, and it's it's vitally important that you salt to taste. In pregnancy, it has actually been scientifically proven, even though the experiments for that were somewhat unethical, but it has been scientifically proven that a pregnant woman cannot get too much salt during pregnancy. And again, if you suffer with hypertension or something, if you had that as a problem pre-pregnancy, you may want to work closely with a dietitian. You may want to be monitoring yourself closely. But even hypertensive women have been shown to be able to salt to taste safely during pregnancy. Uh, 
And even those women who were unable to salt to taste after they had given birth to their babies, through the duration of their pregnancy, they could salt to taste. So again, if you have a special dietary concern about one of these categories, get the outside expert consultation that you need to make decisions that you feel good about. But do remember that the pregnant body, even your pregnant body, needs to make certain metabolic changes. So the salting to taste, again, helps maintain osmotic pressure within the body and it helps keep the blood supply where it's supposed to be. If you're not getting enough salt, not getting enough protein, not getting enough calories, the blood supply can't expand, the kidneys desperately start to to send out signals that your body needs more fluids. And what happens is you see a lot of swelling. Now, some swelling is normal. So you may experience some swelling. Your rings may feel a little tight on your fingers. You may have a little bit of swelling at the end of the day in your feet. But if you're seeing deep pitting swelling or swelling in your face or something, your kidneys are really desperately trying hard to signal to your body that it needs more water in the bloodstream. But as that water is secreted by your body, there's not enough osmotic pressure to hold it in your bloodstream because you're not getting what you need protein, calorie, salt wise. And so it pools. And if you increase your diet and improve your diet, you will very likely see that swelling go away as the body is able to pull that fluid into the bloodstream where it's supposed to be. This sounds really hard for some of you to believe because many of you have been taught that if you're having swelling, then you need to lower the salt, you need to drink lots of fluid, you need to pee lots, and all of that. And all of that may be true outside of pregnancy. But during pregnancy, your body is fundamentally, metabolically, physiologically changed. Your circulatory system is very different and what your body needs is very different. So the building blocks of a super nutritious diet are getting enough protein, getting enough calories, and getting enough salt. And with those calories, you do want to get that very diet. You want to get the the greens and the veggies and things. Now, in order to fit all this pregnancy diet in, you're not going to be able to have a lot of junk foods. And you're not really going to want to rely on processed foods. This is going to be foods you make yourself. Now, it doesn't have to be complicated. And I spend a lot of time in my classes breaking down non-complicated examples for mamas who think this is so complicated. So that's this is one of our most popular Q&A topics on the Mama Baby Birthing Weekly Calls is how to make pregnancy diet simple. Because it sounds overwhelming. But uh, but really, it's not overwhelming. And it does rely on proteins, so you may not be having pretzels, you may not be having chips, you may not be having as many breads and bagels and pastas and things as you're used to, because those things can really fill up your tummy. And you do need to leave room first for the proteins and the salts, and then for the really healthy calories, those, those green veggies, those healthy fats that your baby's brain and your brain needs so badly. Um... And then you're going to want to eat the starchier foods after. But a pregnancy diet can be fit in relatively easily. The way that I find it works best is to have breakfast and then you have a snack and then you have lunch and then you have a snack and then you have dinner and then you have a snack. And so I'm not talking about huge seven course meals. We're not talking, you know, like you might see on a television show where... uh, 
where somebody is being served a seven-course meal in a high-end restaurant. We're talking about pretty simple breakfast, pretty simple lunch, maybe a little bit fancier supper, but still not mass quantities because you're having a generous snack in between and after those meals. And you will probably find that that adds up to the amount of protein that you need. And getting protein is not hard, so one ounce of meat has about seven grams of protein in it. One ounce of meat is about the size of your pinky. That's not a lot to eat. And then three ounces of meat is about 21 whopping grams of protein in it. And and that's only about the size of the palm of your hand or a deck of cards. I know palms of hands differ, so a deck of cards is a little bit more um, objective. So it's it's really not overwhelming when you think about it. It doesn't take a lot. You just have to make the right choices. And one half cup of beans, cooked beans, isn't a lot of beans to eat. And that's that's about eight to nine grams of protein depending on the bean. One cup of milk is eight grams of protein. One egg is six grams of protein. And even things like a slice of whole grain bread have a little bit of protein, four grams here and there. Dr. Brewer recommends that you that you use the checklist rather than actually counting protein grams and calories, though with many of the apps today, it's more viable for moms to be able to easily count because you can just enter it into your fitness or calorie tracking app and it calculates for you. So whatever works in your life is good, but, uh, and, and if you... If you want to email me, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com, I can send you my checklist for the Brewer Diet. You get all the information that goes along with it in the Mama Baby Birthing class, mamababybirthing.com. But but I'm happy to send out the checklist, you know, just if you ask for it. So you can email me and ask for that. But And so I find that checking boxes is easier than counting calories and protein, though sometimes I do that too just for a change. And you don't have to do it every day. But I like Joy Jones's recommendation, the nurse I mentioned earlier. She recommends that you track your pregnancy diet for a couple weeks initially to get an idea of where you are and what you need to improve on. And then evaluate frequently. Take a day every week or something where you look at how you're eating because it can be really easy with a busy life to get off track. I mean, I know that because I'm recording this at 9 in the morning and I haven't managed to eat breakfast yet. So life just gets busy and I understand that. Okay, let's move on to another question since we're pushing 30 minutes here. Okay, alternatives in the diet for dairy. So I'm being treated by a nutritionist and has discovered sensitivities to many different foods. Um, And so how can I do this because I can't eat cheeses or yogurts or anything? It feels like a huge hindrance. I think this is another common misperception of the brewer diet because there's a dairy or a milk category and there's an egg category. And there can be allergies and intolerances to dairy and to eggs. Not so many to meat, though some of you may have that, but but I really think it's the dairy and the eggs that are a stumbling block. The reason that those are in the Brewer diet is, remember I told you Dr. Brewer was working at a low-income clinic, and at that time, milk was inexpensive, and eggs were and actually still are relatively inexpensive. So when he was working with these low-income women, he needed foods that were accessible to them and that were inexpensive to them. And so milk and eggs, if you have four cups of milk, that's four eight-ounce cups of milk, and two eggs every day, that gives you half of your daily protein requirement right there. And it was fairly easy for these women to get that. That's why those are there. What I tell my students is that the key to understanding 
how you can get around the dairy and egg worry or just the dairy or just the egg, whatever it is in your case, is understanding the purpose of those foods. So milk, dairy products provide protein, about 8 grams per cup or per ounce of cheese or cup of yogurt. Greek yogurt has a little bit more. Cottage cheese has a little bit more. Um, But you know, they provided protein. Milk products tend to also provide some sodium. They tend to provide healthy dairy fats. So that's what milk was supposed to provide. Eggs provide protein. They provide iron and they also provide choline, which is very good for your baby's development. But like I just said, a a half cup of cooked beans or one ounce of meat is roughly equivalent to a glass of milk or an egg and protein. And meat has a lot of iron. Meat also has a pretty fair amount of choline. Uh, a square of dark chocolate is an, an outstanding source of choline like an egg is, but it has fairly high levels for its size. So if you enjoy a square of dark chocolate every now and then, well, you're getting in some choline. But meat also has a lot of choline in it. So And then, of course, if you're eating meats, those are healthy fats. Or if you're cooking with coconut oil or palm oil or if you're dressing your salad with olive oil, you're getting in the healthy fats too. So it's really a matter of what is this food supposed to do for my body during pregnancy and how can I substitute for that food? I I told somebody just yesterday when she emailed me about this, I said, if you think about people in the past, uh, like such as Dr. Weston A. Price studied many different culture groups, so he's a good person to look at. He studied moms in the Swiss Alps who were eating rye bread and and thick cheeses and drinking milks and in the in the uh, summertime they were eating all the lush greens and that's what their healthy pregnancy diets were and they had robust strong babies and then he studied Polynesian moms who were eating fish and shellfish and seaweed and they were eating tubers uh, that they harvested on their island homes and they had healthy sturdy babies moms in Uh, In the great northern woods of Canada, we're eating a lot of meat and a lot of seal blubber and berries and greens when they were in season. But these moms also had super healthy, robust babies. And those are three very different diets. And no, I'm not advocating that you need to go eat seal blubber during pregnancy. But I'm just pointing out that all of these culture groups that have been studied that had healthy babies and healthy citizens, they usually had vastly different diets depending on where they were and what you know what they ate culturally so you can do the same thing you don't have to get tied up on oh my goodness the brewer diet says milk and eggs and I can't do milk and eggs it's what is the point of that food in the diet and that makes it much easier okay how do you eat healthy when you have morning sickness or pregnancy aversions that take over your entire pregnancy firstly remember that I said that the blood volume expansion begins at eight weeks and it continue or continues until 28 weeks so it's not as vital that you get the quantity of food you don't need the quantity of protein uh, because that is there to support building your baby yes but your baby is very tiny during the first trimester and and that quantity of food is there to support the blood volume expansion that doesn't even begin until you're two-thirds of the way through the first trimester so in those early weeks I emphasize that you do try and get good nutrition, but but don't worry about working up to quote-unquote brewer diet standards until you're into your second trimester and you're starting to feel better. And then shoot for building up to it by about midway through your pregnancy, maybe a little earlier if you can pull it off, 16, 20 weeks by then. 
Um, but early on, focus on what you can eat. A lot of moms really want comfort foods during this early part of pregnancy. And one thing that the internet is wonderful for is lots of women have found ways to make alternatives to comfort foods. So a lot of moms have a super carb craving during early pregnancy. I'm one of them. And so uh, I was able to make protein pancakes with cottage cheese and egg whites and a, and a little bit of oats. And they're really good. And this the recipe that I used is out of a book called Trim Healthy Mama. And they were just so good. And you could spread a little bit of yogurt and some berries on them if you wanted sweet or a little bit of peanut butter if you wanted savory or even use them with sandwich fillings. But the bottom line is, is that was a comfort food for me. And so I found an alternative that was really good or like chicken nuggets and other foods that you may have eaten as a kid. They may come up as comfort foods that you really want during pregnancy and they sound good. And usually there is an alternative that some brilliant woman on the internet has come up with and you can take advantage of that to make something that works better. Another thing that has worked really well for me is making foods in batches, like especially when I get a positive pregnancy test, I will make a whole bunch of freezer meals. Sometimes that backfires because you have an aversion to them, like I made a whole bunch of chili when I was pregnant with Corwin, and I put diced tomatoes in it, and then I ended up not being able to eat the chili because it had diced tomatoes in it, which I had an aversion to. But everybody else in the family ate it, and I was able to just make myself something simple to eat at the same time. But but basically, you just look for strategies that work for you, comfort foods that work for you, or freezer meals that work for you. We're making, right now, they're called grain-free grab-and-goes. They were part of the Healthy Living Bundle. And they're essentially like Hot Pockets, except for they're made with a grain-free outside, and then obviously a homemade, nutritious filling inside. And so we've just been making huge batches of those and then freezing them. And I can just pop one of those into the oven for 15 minutes and then have a really delicious meal. In fact, that's probably what I'll go make for myself for breakfast here in a minute. Uh, And so, you know, that sort of thing is, is really easy. It takes a little bit of planning, but you only have to do the planning once and then you're good to go. And then other things like a cup of yogurt and some fruit or a slice of cheese and uh, and some pepper slices or a handful of nuts and a piece of fruit. It can be really easy stuff that you're eating just periodically throughout the day. And also I found that trying to get a little bit of sugar like a piece of fruit or fruit sprinkled on top of yogurt along with your protein like the piece of cheese or the nuts which actually have everything in them inherently can be really helpful and then just eating that frequently. And we can do another episode on morning sickness because I have a lot more information on that that's not necessarily related to what you eat but uh, but what you do to take care of your body and but I don't have time to go into it now but yeah just don't worry if you can't hit oh my gosh I'm eating the brewer diet from the day that I see two lines on the pregnancy test instead look for what you can do and how you can adapt and many of those things may become favorites that you enjoy throughout pregnancy and like that regular snacking habit is good to get into for throughout pregnancy And then the same thing with aversions. Eat what you can. And if you feel like you have aversions so that you can only eat junk food, well then go to those brilliant women on the internet and find healthy alternatives to the junk food. Find something healthy that you like. And if you need to eat that over and over again, that's fine. Just salt it to taste. Make sure it's got some protein and other nutrients. Variety is nice but not required. What's required is that you're really hitting the nutrients that you need to get in. 
Okay, and I already talked a little bit about the cravings, which is what the next the next couple of questions were about wanting cravings or, or a lot of carb cravings. So again, look for those comfort food fakes that will work in place. And then as you get farther in pregnancy um, and you're eating a full pregnancy diet every day, you can have a treat here and there without guilt. I took my kids to Pizza Hut on Friday because they do book it. And you can do that without guilt. Just make sure that you're eating well the rest of the time and that that doesn't become an all-the-time thing. Okay. I think I'm going to start or stop there because we're almost at 45 minutes. The other questions that I have were just about supplements, and I recommend a food-based prenatal, ideally not in a tablet form. Something I've learned a lot recently is that that's very hard to absorb. So if it's in a caplet, you know, with a powdered herb or something in there, or if it's in a liquid, those are good choices. Something that's easy to absorb if you decide to do a prenatal. Um, And then there are some other supplements that I recommend. Cod liver oil tends to be very good throughout pregnancy, but that could be an entire discussion. And then things like calcium, magnesium, on an as-needed basis. If you decide that's what's needed for your body, those are good. Um, But otherwise, I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time on that since we are to the 45-minute mark. Remember, I'm happy to go into any detail on this and have gone into a lot of detail on this in my class, which is mamababybirthing.com. So you can check that out. I would love to have even more new students because let me tell you, our Q&A calls have been so much fun with so many students on them. It's just been, we've just gotten a great variety of questions. And I really, as you know, I love to talk and I love to share information about pregnancy pregnancy and birth. So it's just been tons of fun to get all those questions. And I actually really love having questions fired at me in the moment because it keeps me thinking. And sometimes I have to say, you know, I don't really know. And I need to research and get back to you next week. And that's tons of fun too. So, and and of course there are pre-recorded lessons that you work through at your pace that give you all the basics and all the foundation. And then you get the weekly Q&A call with me too. So if you're interested in that, check it out at mamababybirthing.com, M-A-M-A, babybirthing.com. And otherwise, I'll see you next week. We're going to talk about some of the exercises, exercise questions next week. And then we're going to dive into a lot of the birth preparation class or questions that I've gotten. Uh, And for now, I'm going to go eat my breakfast. And I hope that you're taking great care of yourself. And let me know if I can help with anything. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.